Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. You know what I love about unseminarians? That's you, the people that listen to this podcast, engage with our content. You are often leading growing churches. And if your church is growing, I bet that you're looking at building something, maybe going portable, re- uh, remodeling, launching a new campus, that sort of thing, planting. All of these things are going to require audio, video, lighting. And you're going to need a company to help you with that. The company I recommend, I strongly recommend, is HouseRight.com. This company has done it for tons of churches. They've worked with literally hundreds of churches nationwide and in Canada. The team is not only stacked with super smart engineers who design incredible stuff, but they really are are led with some ministry-minded leaders that want to find you uh, cost-effective solutions. Here's the deal. I've seen their work. I've recommended them to churches I've consulted with. And they, uh, they're one of those amazing kind of national companies that do not only big multinational, but they also do small projects. No project literally is too big or too small. Somehow, Matt McKay and his team at HouseRight can do both of these things. I'm telling you that you guys, these guys love the church. They love your church. They're going to love your church when they connect with you. And I want you to connect with them. This is what I want you to do. If you're thinking about even early on audio video lighting or even want a second opinion on audio video lighting, what I want you to do is to check out HouseRight.com forward slash unseminary. That's houseright.com forward slash unseminary. Reach out, get connected with them. You cannot connect with them too early. Now's a perfect time. You've got a little bit of time before Christmas, before the end of this year. Check that off your list. I know you've been thinking about it for a while. All right, let's jump in with today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you've decided to tune in today. Uh, we're we're in for a real treat today. I'm excited for today's conversation. Been looking to it, forward to it for a while. We've got Pastor Jordan Rice from Renaissance Church in New York City. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your church? Give us a sense of kind of maybe a bit of the history, a bit of the flavor. Give us a sense of of what's going on at Renaissance. Yeah, so we just celebrated five years this past September, and um, Renaissance, you know, has been a dream of mine for about probably 15, 20 years. And um, a couple years ago, before that, heard about church planting. And essentially, we wanted to start a church for people that were like me when I was not a Christian. So when Mm -hmm. I was 21 years old and was open to the thought of Jesus, but really didn't have clear guidance on what that looked like to really place my faith in him and to be in a real community of people who were following him. So um, heard a talk by Tim Keller in 2010 and that really revolutionized my approach and my Mm. desire to plant a church it was his message called God Love Cities and Mm. I left that night knowing knowing that I was going to plant a church Mm. and um so we did that five years ago um or we launched five years ago Mm -hmm. and Renaissance is in Harlem in uh so the northern part of Manhattan in Harlem Mm -hmm. and Harlem as many of you your listeners would know is uh very historic neighborhood in in Manhattan and really the crown jewel of African-American culture in America and also in the world. Uh, the challenge has been in the last number of years that Harlem has undergone and is currently undergoing through gentrification, mm. which means there's a lot of displacement of local native folks for uh, newer people, many of which from different ethnicities. So that just creates a problem and an opportunity for the church. 
The problem is the majority of churches in previous generations were meant to reach the population that was there. And there weren't as many churches moving in to be able to reach both the old and the new mm. Harlem. Mm. So Renaissance was birthed with a dream and the hope to reach old Harlem and new Harlem and to be a place where people could live as family uh, mm. and, and really in Christ. I love that. I, you know, it's, I'd love to dive into that a little bit. I think, you know, a lot of our churches, um, you know, you're, you're in a, uh, obviously a, this kind of changing community, a, um, you know, an increasingly diversifying community. And although everyone who's listening in today obviously isn't in uh, New York City or in Harlem, but I think we can identify with the fact that, um, you know, the communities were serving are out that idea, a, you know, a, a, a church for the diverse people, a whole kind of wide spectrum of folks that are living in your neighborhood. What does that actually look like at Renaissance? How are you kind of stepping in that direction? Well, I think throughout the history of our country, separation has always been the result of intentional acts. If you go back to slavery, Jim Crow, all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, the church has in America has believed that although segregation and separation happen intentionally, diversity would just happen unintentionally, that we would just somehow, we would just somehow stumble our way into kingdom diversity. And that's just, that's just unrealistic and um, kind of a short-sighted approach towards what diversity entails. So we knew it was going to take a lot of effort and we walked into it very prayerfully. The biggest thing that we did from up front, and this is true of diversity and anything else is we always give the why before the what. And, you know, that's, a, that's applicable to almost anything you do in, mm-hmm. in leadership. And we gave the why, the picture of the kingdom, that every time you pray, your kingdom come, what you're praying for is a diverse group of people coming together mm-hmm. across boundaries, across ethnicities, across socioeconomic barriers, to be this reunited and reclaimed um, family of Jesus followers. So... Uh, so we started with the why and this big picture vision of what would it look like to be uh, biblical and the way we live out our ecclesiology in the sense that we're not divided. And Harlem is interesting because it's not like there's a black part of town, a white part of town, a Puerto Rican part of town, mm-hmm. uh, a Korean part of town. Everybody is is on the same block. Sure. So it, in, in many ways, it's uh, casting a vision to be a church for the neighborhood, mm-hmm. for what the neighborhood is now, not what you thought not what you prefer the neighborhood to be. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And then, you know, so how, maybe give us a couple examples of, of that communication piece. How have you been doing that? You know, is that, you know, it's clear in your kind of website and, you know, kind of the way you communicate, but are there some other ways that you're communicating the why before you get to the what? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a value of ours that we preach about pretty regularly. Right. And that value has shaped the way we've constructed ministry uh, so as we're talking about the why, you're also seeing the what on display mm-hmm. and the way we hired people, the way our worship team is set up, mm-hmm. where people stand, the type of greeters you have at the door, the staggering of greeters. So diversity makes everything more difficult organizationally sure. because there's, there's no such thing as just letting people sign up for um, greeting you we 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 schedule greeters so that everything that you see reinforces our why mm. so um, we're reinforcing manually the vision that we hope to produce 
And over time, it gets easier and easier, but certainly to start out, as we were preaching about what it looked, as we were preaching about following Jesus and what that looks like practically in terms of um, coming together as family, which of course goes across ethnic and socioeconomic barriers and goes through those lines, uh, reinforcing that with a lot of intentional action. Yeah, that's good. You know, I love that idea of, you know, how do we take practical steps? I know when I was in New Jersey, one of the things we did, we were, we looked at our community and realized, hey, you know, we just don't have, we're not as diverse, particularly in our context, when we looked at the, um, you know, the makeup of the communities that our campuses were in, it was really with a particular Spanish speaking population that we just, it wasn't reflected in our, in our community as much. And so yeah. um, we ended up sitting down and, and starting a dialogue and really from a place of humility as leaders to say, Hey, we are not, we're just not, this isn't working. <laughs> and so yeah. what, do, what do we need to do? And so we made some changes. And one of them was we, we started offering Spanish translation because our Spanish folks were saying, Hey, you should do that. You should offer that. It seemed like a strange thing to me as like, is this really the deal? But actually over time, it was amazing. Like you say, taking a tactic towards that, it, it made a huge difference. And, and actually over about a year, it ended up shifting uh, the culture in a significant way. Um, so yeah, I love that. Are there any other ways you need to think of, you know, what are, what are you doing in say your kids ministry to, to try to reinforce this value to, um, you know, try to be a diverse representation of the community of Christ? Both uh, volunteers that we have, and also the, certainly the curriculum. That's the biggest one. Mm. So nothing we don't we don't really buy curriculum from other people because they tend to be. Um, it all somewhat, comes from not, Atlanta. Not, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but I know. <laughs> I know all the same. I know, it de- I know it doesn't represent our neighborhood well, and so sure. we're doing custom. We do a custom build on everything, and I think to be a uh, a diverse church, you are required to in some ways not always seek efficiency. And, um, you know, if you're gonna have a competing value of efficiency or diversity, sometimes those values are in competition with each other. You could do right. things that are way more efficient, but they wouldn't be diverse. Um, and you could do things that would truly incorporate a value of diversity, but it won't be efficient all the time. Right. Um, the other thing is, I mean, you kind of hinted on this a little bit. A lot of times as a church planter and, uh, and a, a ministry practitioner, we're always in a rush to start something. But the most important thing that we did was the first room of people that we had. So we weren't, I wasn't in a rush to fill a room of people. I wanted mm. to fill the room with the right people because I knew if I had, if I had 15 of the right representation of people, then the church would grow based on their, their That's network into be what I wanted it to be, as opposed to trying to retrofit something on the back end and say, oh, hey, invite people that you don't know. Um, so now, I mean, it, we didn't grow diverse because people were reaching out, you know, reaching across barriers. It was like, just invite your friends. And if all of you invite your friends and your family members, this church will be diverse in every, in every way, because that's what we had in our first room. And I think a lot of people in a rush to do something, uh, pressured to get something off the ground or just pressure. They don't want to be alone in a the room. They fill the room with a homogenous context and then try to hope and pray that God would do something differently. And that's just not all, it's not really realistic. Right. That's good. I think, I think that's a good insight in general for church planters. I know 
there is that rush to the first service and the kind of rush to let's try to build a crowd, which I think you can then end up actually undoing what you're actually trying to build long-term. You know, you can, just because you can get a bunch of people in the room doesn't necessarily mean it's pointing in the right direction. I think that's a good insight for people, even obviously we're talking about specifically in, around the diversity issue today, but um, you know, just in, in general, I think that's a, a great insight. Now, what about, so uh, the thing, so this is incredibly important for, and I've said this in other contexts, you know, every uh, zip code in America is more diverse today than it was 10 years ago. And, and that looks different in different parts of the country, uh, but, but that is just true. And I think we all have to be thinking about what are we doing to actively, like you say, be intentional around the diversity question. I think the other thing that you could help us get our head around is really this kind of growing skepticism or, you know, growing kind of cultural shift away from things of the Bible. There was a time where, you know, we could stand up and assume that the people in front of us had some sign of some sort of, you know, baseline understanding of scripture. But my, my, and, and maybe this is wrong, but my impression of, you know, kind of the greater New York City area is that that just isn't the case. I know that's not the case where I've uh, served in New Jersey and other parts of the country, but what, what have you been doing on that? That side, how how are, what are you learning about kind of really discipling people in a community that really at its core has some serious doubts about really what the Bible is or or things of faith? That's a great question. For the first couple of years, we had a lot of things planned, a lot of initiatives, and we kind of planned them ourselves in a vacuum. A bunch of you know seminary trained ministry practitioners got in a room and planned what would work, and that didn't work. Uh, mainly because we we just didn't understand the level to which people didn't care what the Bible said. Right. If it didn't make emotional sense to them, it didn't matter how much rational sense it would make. So we jumped, for the first couple of years, we would jump straight to the rational before we would get to the emotional aspect of it. Mm. And what we did is we really, we started having a series of coffee chats. One of our friends in our community owns a coffee shop. And we would post up in there and basically just say, you know, here's a Yankee, Yankee fitted hat, drop your questions in there. It could be about anything, questions, comments, whatever. Mm. And we got to just hear people. And some of those nights got ugly. You know, I got called everything except for a child of God. And, and one night um, talking about, you know, human sexuality and the church's stance on that and um, how our, our culture really and truly uh, just doesn't care what the Bible says at all right and part of that was so helpful was we really got to listen to listen to their arguments and see where their fears their doubts were rooted in and one of the things that's done to us is kind of put us in a position to listen well first so that we mm -hmm. can respond that's i was i was giving good biblical rational arguments on why the biblical sexual ethic is good but really nobody's going to hear that because our culture has made marriage into an ultimate thing. Mm -hmm. So when marriage is an ultimate thing that is the ultimate pathway towards enjoyment and fulfillment in life and self-actualization, to withhold that in any context from people is cruel because you're withholding from them something that's going to bring them ultimate happiness. Mm -hmm. And really, now we don't even talk about uh, sex sexuality until we first talked about marriage. We talk about marriage as a good but incomplete thing. And um, we wouldn't have been able to tackle a lot of discipleship issues, a lot of uh, conflicts and different things like that, unless we really had a first, a good position to listen well to like, what are they actually, what is the actual hangup? The actual hangup is not 
about the biblical ethic. It's about this belief that marriage is ultimate. This is the mm-hmm. same reason that our single, our single women particularly are struggling in a lot of cases. Um, some of our single women are struggling, are really struggling mm-hmm. because mar- they believe marriage is ultimate and they right. don't have it. Right. So if, if you don't have an ultimate thing, then this is going to put you in a, in a bad situation. So uh, really putting ourselves in a position to listen well so that we could address the underlying issues that may not always make sense at, at first to us. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I love this again, just to underline, and I wonder if you have some other examples of this. We've seen this time and again, communicators that are working to try to communicate in a post-Christian culture or whatever you know language works in your world to talk about that. Uh, they really start with questions. They start with, hey, I want to listen and understand. Are there any other ways that you're even integrating into your preaching or into your just kind of normal rhythm really a listening mindset to say, Hey, how can I understand? How do I seek to understand first before, you know, I seek to be understood? Oh, certainly. I mean, I'm a, in my preaching, I'm a storyteller and I'm a, and I'm an attorney by, by trade. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll interrogate, I'll cross-examine your, your worldview from the pulpit. <laughs> yes. And um, because a lot of times people have base assumptions that are just that by their very nature, that argument is flawed mm. like there people carry in base assumptions to um to the day one of them is about the concept of authority that authority can't be trusted and mm. to a certain extent there's a lot of examples on why authority has been abused and can't be accepted so to put the authority of scripture the authority of god the authority of jesus on top of someone feels oppressive and difficult mm. uh, but essentially what you're doing is you've made yourself the authority in that case, and you are the person that you look at every morning in a mirror, mirror is a person that has gotten you into every bad decision in your life. Mm. Behind every terrible decision you have made, you have been the primary <laughs> person. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you have a problem with authority, the problem is not authority. Someone has authority in your life and giving it to yourself, your track record is not that good. <laughs> right. Just if, you, if we look at it objectively, so I mean, you have to give authority to someone. Right. And it, and so uh, so challenging people's presuppositions, people walk thinking that it's, they're they're walking in freedom by not having authority over them. And actually, what we try to point people to is that's a vulnerability because now you've made yourself the authority. Mm-hmm. And if you think about your blind spots from five years ago, about a variety of topics, any topic, versus now, you would look back on yourself five from five years ago and say that that person's an idiot. Mm-hmm. And five years from now, you're going to say that you're this person right now sitting in a chair is an idiot. Mm-hmm. So why would yeah to hand over control to them is not a good idea. Yeah, that's good. I like that. That's that's fantastic. Now you know this whole um, you know kind of church planting in New York City specifically, but cities in general. Obviously, you referenced Tim Keller earlier. You know the city church movement, obviously um, hugely influential. There's a lot of people who are. Uh, you know, thinking and praying through this, what would, you know, knowing what you know now, kind of looking back after, you know, having started your five years in, what would, what would you wish you could go back and tell yourself five years ago and say, hey, like, maybe do this a little different or lead in a different way, or, um, you know, maybe don't do this, or, you know, what, what advice would you give yourself looking back, particularly from an, you know, a city center and, you know, an urban planting, you know, community perspective? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is I would tell me to not, that criticism is going to happen no matter what. So the Christian leader should be above reproach, but you'll never be above criticism. 
Right. That's good. That's just never going to happen. So the price of leadership is always criticism. And I would tell me you're going to get criticized no matter what. So you can be nuanced all you want to be, and you should be nuanced. You shouldn't just, um, you know, bring a, a steak knife into surgery room. Um, but one of the primary things that God uses to disciple you is the church right. and the work that you're doing, the work of your hands. God is using that also to shape you. So as you are bearing reproach, this is developing fruit in your life. So uh, in terms of making different decisions, um, I would have, I would not have copied and pasted as many discipleship models as I did. Mm. You know, we have, you know, I, we have community groups now and we, they've functioned in different ways. And I've read a couple of books on different things on this missional community versus that versus this and all sort of stuff. And early on, we copied and pasted some stuff and we're burning our leaders out. And it really wasn't discipling people the way that we wanted it to. Mm. And we made the change about a year and a half in to really radically contextualize it for ourselves. And I wish I would have done that from day one. Just so, I mean, I would have walked in more more aware of the of how much everything needs to be contextualized for our ministry right. and i wouldn't just say well they're doing it here and that works for them so let's just do the same thing yeah let's just do that yeah that's a good insight that's a good insight i think for all of us right we want to sure learn from other people but then we ultimately need to say okay what is it that god's calling us to do in this you know context and i think particularly you know, in, in your context, it's a unique scenario. There are not a ton of people who are planting churches in your community and that are working, frankly, that are here five years later. And so, um, you know, continuing to try to seek to learn is I think a really, really good thing. It's been fantastic. Anything else you'd love to share before we, uh, we wrap up today's episode? Uh, Matt, no, thanks for having me. One of the, the other things about, um, about diversity that I was just thinking about earlier, earlier is a lot of times in in churches and forgive me if even even if this is this crass sometimes there are, are tokens that are put in place to try to help achieve a goal and really i've seen the fruit of having the right people rep- representation is important but having the right representation is even more important mm. um and for us for example you know, we have a lot of homegrown New Yorkers, homegrown Harlemites who represent our community in real legitimate ways. Um, and we also have people, Koreans and white people and people of all different ethnicities and socioeconomic brackets, all our different stuff. But I've seen a lot of churches, because of their desire to have, have diversity, they put they put in a Carlton Banks in position to hopefully be there to, rep, to help draw in Black people, and it's like Carlton Banks will never bring in Will Smith. If anything, he's going to turn off Will Smith even more from your church. It would be better to not do anything than it would be to like put Carlton up there and say, "Hey, man, here's our guy." So right. just to, to exercise restraint, and that God would honor your prayers for a diversity, but uh, to really exercise restraint until you have the right person that can be that representation. 
That's great. That's a great insight. Uh, and yeah, not too crass and a vivid uh, example. The any advice you would give to a church leader? Because I think people. I, so I, I know exactly what you're talking to. I think anybody who's listening in, you've been to that church and you know exactly the the situation you're talking about there. I think uh, you know benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of church leaders find themselves in a, a kind of situation where they they make that kind of decision out of a good spot because they're saying, hey, we're trying to figure out how to to you know to do this. What what kind of practical advice would you give around, um, you know, kind of the waiting to find the right person, or you know, what are some of the because you know you would I would assume would face the same issue around you know like there's sure there's people that move into you know your neighborhood all the time who are probably just going to blow through be only only there for six months and then they're going to be gone and you've got to sniff that out you got to figure out who's actually in um, and who's going to be here for the long haul. How, what are you doing to kind of try to figure out who are the, who's the authentic folks that we want to draw more into leadership? Man, that's, that's, I, I would, I would have a couple of really painful conversations with people in the community, right. both the church community and the greater community and say, people who, who are your target demographic, the yeah. underrepresented group and say, and this is really painful. So you can't do this too often say, why don't you invite your friends to this church? Right. Like a one-on-one conversation, why don't you invite them? And just give me the real honest answer. And they're very painful to hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had a couple of these conversations with men at our church about, like, why don't you go to community group? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the result is painful to hear, you know, how much our communication, for example, was, like, really missing the mark Mm -hmm. about what these groups do. And so we've changed a lot of that stuff. But I think to have that conversation, you'll, you'll see what internally is not attractive or is not working and then from there because you have to do that to gain credibility it really what you want to do is leverage the people already in your community yeah uh to be pipelines of people that would bring their people in yeah um so don't think about it in programs that if we do this program in the west side of town if we do this thing the backpack giveaway we'll do it but rather what do we need to do how do we create and nurture a pipeline of new people coming in what Mm -hmm. needs to happen to to draw them in a winsome way uh, at Renaissance, this is like a really great example. We have we have about fifty or seventy five. Like it, we have about fifty lawyers stuck in the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. I'm an attorney by trade, and I you know I met a couple guys who were at Columbia's law school when we first started. They you know they started coming to Renaissance. They invited their friends, and now we have a ton of lawyers. We didn't do any programs for lawyers. We don't have any. We don't have any like faith and work initiatives for them. Mm-hmm. We just have a pipeline of lawyers who come and they invite their friends and their colleagues. And before you know it, we have a ton of them in our congregation um and i think the same thing is true even for diversity right. if you just create and nurture a pipeline with the right people they'll draw others in that's good that's a good insight even again you've provided so much value here today but that idea of going after people and saying you know being willing having the guts to ask the slightly negative like hey how come this isn't working <laughs> for you you know yeah that's uh, that's humbling yeah, yeah it is. It's painful. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't schedule too many of those uh, <laughs> in my week. I'd, I'd schedule a call with my mother at, right after it. To <laughs> Mom, please tell me I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan, I really appreciated this today. If people want to track with you or with the church, what's the best place? Where should we send them? Man, I, my wife always tells me that I'm a millennial, even though I'm an old millennial. So uh, our Instagram page, Renaissance NYC. Nice. Great. 
kid. Well, we'll, we'll link up to that. And Jordan, I appreciate being on the show today. And thanks for what you're doing. And, and thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>